You're listening to Fire Trainers Podcast, Season 5, Episode 3, published on March 21st, 2023. This episode, we'll be talking to Steve Torini about his hand-to-gun training. I'm your host, Rob Beckman, and sit back and relax for another informative podcast with the Fire Trainers Podcast. This episode is also brought to you by the Friends the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com. Learn more about their instructor coverage offer and their competitive pricing. If you're a certified instructor, you can apply for FTA coverage. Remember, for listening to this podcast, you can get 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by Palm Pepper Spray. Palm has been an innovator in pepper spray technologies for several generations and continues to deliver the best formula in the best delivery system. Palm sells inert, water-filled units for instructors to utilize in training scenarios to help students understand the delivery system and train for those defensive scenarios. Palm is available in belt clip, keychain, and snap quick-release systems. Palm is the smallest half-ounce personal carry unit available on the market. Palm's flip-top dispensing system raises the standard for performance and safety with the strongest legal formula in 10 seconds of continuous spray, or 20 half-second burst. Learn more and buy your unit at palmpepperspray.com. We bring you this podcast to support the industry of the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy in making gun owners more knowledgeable. Today, we're joined by Steve Tarani. Welcome, Steve, and thank you for coming on the uh, on the podcast. Thank you, Rob. Pleasure to be here and support the community. Yeah, appreciate that. And I know I've seen you speak several times um, at different uh, shows, expos and such. But for those people that aren't necessarily familiar with what you do, can you give us a little bit about what your background is in the 2A community and, uh, you know, who you are? Sure, sure. Uh, Steve Tarani. Um, if you need a, a sleep aid, you can go to stevetarani.com. <laughs> T-A-R-A-N-I, and it'll give you a little bit of background in, uh, in my schedule and all that stuff. Um, so um, I have an extensive defensive tactics background. Um, I was a federal contractor for many years, a full-time employee with the Central Intelligence Agency in the uh, protective programs. Uh, so I have a strong background in protection. I, I still to this day do, uh, do some protection work. Um, mostly what I do now is uh, train the trainer. Um, most of the contracts I service, I'm a full-time service contractor for uh, various federal agencies. I've done uh, work for every agency with three letters and a vowel you can think of. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in the defense intelligence world uh, and then um, ended up, uh, I've been at, I also work at a, at a place called Gunsight Academy, which is up in uh, Paulden, Arizona. And I've been on staff up there for 22 years, something like that. So, um, you know, I'm, I've been Fletzy trained and, you know, went through numerous, numerous federal training courses and uh, firearms. So I'm kind of the expert in uh, sub- subject matter expert bridging the world of defensive tactics with the with the shooting world, the tactical shooting world. So, you know, building that bridge. Uh, to give you a little more on that, um, you know, you go to any academy and you're you're in you're in the defensive tactics classes and they teach you all these techniques you need to know. Then you go on the square range and you learn all the things you need to know for your agency on the square range. But very rarely, if ever, did the two worlds cross over. And that was the need. And that's the niche that uh, we were talking about earlier, going from hands to guns. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, definitely, which is a, a really good intro to topic today because both you and Rob Latham come up to a very unique course, um, Hand to Gun, that been reading a lot about uh, on, on your website. And uh, can you give us a little bit of a, you know, what what's the Hand to Gun course about? Sure. Um, the, the root the roots of it come from what we talked about earlier. You know, the, so you have an extensive training working in an agency with defensive tactics, and then you're, you know, regardless of what you do, you might be on a specialty team or something like that. So let's say you're, you know, the top rung of your qualification. I'm just making this up. Your score is 100, and you're a 100 shooter. You're at the very top of your qualification. Uh, and then, you know, you may be, um, you know, practice Brazilian jiu-jitsu or do something else off on the side, which makes you have a really strong uh, base in your defensive tactics and the hand-to-hand. But, but nowhere in your agency or organization do they blend the two, the hands with you know, gun handling and defensive tactics. So that's kind of where this was born from. And, uh, and another piece of it too, Rob, is that, you know, the, um, when you are a shooter, and this happened to me when I was working, you reach a certain level in your agency that you're working for, and there's nothing above 100. They don't, the agency doesn't train you to go beyond the maximum score of your um, qualification. Mm-hmm. So, so for you to get that training, you have to step outside the box, so to speak, and find, um, you know, other, other resources for that to increase your skill level if you want to do that. And so that's kind of why how, you know, Rob and I sort of, you know, we're talking about this years and years ago. Uh, and Rob's, of course, you know, the performance shooting guru. And uh, he is phenomenal at taking you from X to X plus Y, I mean, you know, as far as skill level. So he does the performance shooting piece. He trains on that side of it. And I train on the side of going, you know, I redefine, <clears throat> redefine the application of the defensive tactics moving toward the gun handling. But once the gun's out, Rob takes over and does the, uh, the performance training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the, the one thing, you know, I've heard you speak before and uh, read your material and such is, you know, you've got to be able to bridge between there because especially when you're talking about protection, when you're doing different things, um, you know, bringing a gun out, you, you know, that's kind of a failure because you, you've allowed things to get deteriorate to that point to where you've got only got one option left. And that, that can be, that can be risky for you as well as the people that you're protecting too, because you've got these projectiles that are flying all over the place, then you're, you're only controlling a certain number of them that are in your hands, not all the other ones that are flying around. If, if I may relay a, a story of a real world briefing that I attended when I was working and uh, we had an old salty old team leader, he had been on forever in the, in the world of protective services. So I was working in protection services and this guy was really good. He had been on for 30 plus years and um, he stands up at the front of the, you know, he's in the podium and he's, he's given us this briefing. And uh, he says to us, if you boys go to guns, you failed. And, and we all kind of looked at him because, you know, you have to qualify to get, to even do the job. You have to be to a certain level, you know, called up to a certain level. And so we all kind of looked at him like, man, we didn't know what he was talking about. And he says, you know, think about this. He goes, if, if you're standing there and you immediately go to guns, where does that put your protectee? You've instantly escalated it to a gunfight. So he likened 
having, and this applies too to the civilian community as well, 100%, even more so, uh, you know, because, you know, you don't have that, uh, that qualified immunity and you're not working for an agency, you're on your own. You are liable mm-hmm. both criminally and civilly, you know, et cetera. Uh, so, so he, he said it was like this. He said um, he likened any of the hardware <clears throat> to the lifeboats on the Titanic. He said that, you know, yeah, you know, you have the lifeboats. However, um, how about this? How about looking for an iceberg, you know? And if you mm-hmm. see an iceberg because you're looking for one, you drive around it. And if you if you fail to look for an iceberg and fail to see the iceberg and fail to drive around the iceberg and crash into the iceberg, then do you need the lifeboats? Yes. That's that's what really nailed it for me was, yeah, there's a lot of things you can do uh, starting from the awareness piece, applying your situational awareness to your immediate environment. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think also one of the things that's, uh, you know, we're the fireman trainers podcast, but one of the things that trainers need to be aware of, or, you know, think about too, is, you know, what are the skills that they have up, you know, before the gun, you know, do they have the verbal judo? Do they have the ability to, you know, re- wrestle and have the, you know, physical endurance bill wrestle somebody um, for, to, you know, do they know how to handle, you know, a knife, you know, all these, you know, do they have other things that are, you know, less than lethal, you know, pepper spray or, or, you know, something, you know, tasers, things along those lines, which, exactly. you know, obviously, you know, they, t- you've got to train with them, but if you, you know, like you said, if you've got to go to the gun, you've, you're in a really bad situation and all those other ones, you know, you weren't able to deploy effectively enough. You've exhausted all your resources. So we divide it in my, in our type of instruction, my company does, and I train trainers, mostly what I do. And that is we divide it into soft skills and hard skills. So the first thing you go to is your soft skills. And I, I like to use this analogy and it's actually a question for our, our listeners or viewers. And that is think about, the number of times you've actually, let's start at age four or five, if you can remember that far back. You and I might need some type of medical assistance to think <laughs> that far back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so let's say four or five years old, somewhere in there. Now think about from that time all the way up to when this podcast just started a few minutes ago. And in that time, what percentage of all that time would you say you've ever had to go face in the dirt, teeth in the curb, blood splattered all over the place, chiclets everywhere versus using your soft skills where perhaps, you know, as an example, you notice someone swerving as you're driving alongside you on the freeway or something like that. So that percentage turns out, well, let me ask you, Rob, what percentage would you say hard skills versus soft skills? Like I'm talking face in the dirt. Yeah, I would say less than 1%, you know, maybe one-tenth of 1%. I've asked that question for the last 30 plus years in my industry, and you are absolutely exactly correct. It's enough. You add military and law enforcement, it brings it to 2%. But, you know, including all of all of the above, let's say it's 2%. We'll go worst case scenario, 2%. Mm-hmm. Well, that leaves 98% soft skills. So we all, and this is, I found this to be the trend. Most people gravitate towards the hard skills because, oh, you know, you want to have that. But if you look at the real numbers, 98% of the time you're using your soft skills. So why not sharpen or harden those soft skills? The more you use your soft skills, the less you ever have to go to your hard skills. Mm-hmm. 
that's you know definite and when you're talking about protecting somebody or that you're you know try, trying to you know prevent somebody from you know getting some some place having that having that ability to go along and, and and you know use those soft skills are probably you know more important than even the hard skills if you're a protective agent and you're doing the work i i, I still do that type of work you know you you fail miserably if you go to guns it's a it's you you have so many uh, you have ninety eight percent of the equation to to exhaust before you get down that low to the lifeboats and and your priority is the soft skills. So I also have a class that I I teach often and it's called the Protective Agents Program. And the Protective Agents course is basically if you are you are your own protective agent, right? Mm-hmm. You're the head of your family, whoever's with you, spouse, uh, one of the kids, something like that. That is your protectee. So by default, you are the protective agent and you're responsible for yourself and them. And in doing so, if you raise their scale of injury by immediately going to a hard skill, you failed miserably and could be liable both civilly and criminally. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you don't have the qualified immunity. You know, if you're a you know sworn law enforcement officer, different things along those lines. And, you know, one of the things when you're teaching civilians that i've always you know impressed upon them is you know if you've got to go to guns it's going to be your, the worst day of your life because you're going to go along and have you know 100 people scrutinizing every single second of how that went down you know the answers you gave them you know all those types of things and even you know even the, even to the situation where you did everything right but they still come back and sue you because they can sue you you know civilly for something you know you won't spend time Absolutely. in jail for it but guess what i still like you know my retirement different things like that right right i'll give you a case in point to support what you just said i have a student in california i was teaching a class out there a couple of years back and he, he's a CCW guy, you know, he, he's, he carries concealed and he's, um, you know, he's a good shooter, very good shooter. And he has the skill, good gun handling skills, excellent marksmanship. He was involved in a nasty situation. Um, he, there was a, and he had a, so think of, think, visually think of the, the backstop was a brick wall, an external brick wall, cinder block wall, and then the bad guy and then him. So he was carrying and he could have easily solved the problem with the gun because he had a great backstop. He was 100% in the right. It would have been a perfectly good shoot. But because of where he lived, you know, he's thinking as it's going down, as this guy's holding him up, he's thinking of, okay, if I go to guns, you know, I'm responsible for this and that. You know, he goes through the whole litany. And although he could have, he made the conscious decision to not go to guns and just give the guy his wallet and walk away and you know, shut off his credit cards after the fact. Saved mm-hmm. himself about $150,000, roughly, ballpark, and three to five years in and out of de- depositions, et cetera. And by the way, if you're involved in that, you know, your guns are taken away during that whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one that I'll put kind of in a um, international perspective, um, a well-known trainer, Greg Elifitz. Um, he writes on, he writes uh, travel books and such. And he talks yep. about one time when he was in Northern Africa and Greg has, uh, his resume is like 10 pages long, single space. 
Um, that yeah. those are all the courses that he's taken and taught and such over, over his uh, career and such. And he was there and they were driving through this desert, him and him and his girlfriend. And they came across this one person, uh, checkpoint in the middle between these two cities that they were traveling. And he went along and, you know, saw the guy came out and, and the driver told him that he wanted them to pay him in order to get past this uh, checkpoint and he made you know very astute uh observations that this guy um really didn't seem to have his you know didn't know he was getting too close to the car so he could easily have gra grabbed his rifle he could have very easily overpowered him gotten him to the ground and gone on the thing that he also went along and weighed was with the sand dunes around and different things he had no idea who else who how many of his other buddies would be there and then the uh, driver went along and he did the math in his head and the guy was asking basically for a quarter and it's like yeah just give him a quarter and go on i mean you know you he could have done could try a whole lot of stuff but it, things could have turned bad for him very quickly and he realized that even though you know he's been trained how to deal with this you know for a long time he realized that it was easier to go along and pay the person a quarter to go past this fake checkpoint than it was to get into confrontation to where you really couldn't control what's going to what was going to happen next and that's where it just wasn't worth it in a quarter made, made all the difference and that's for some that's from somebody who has the training who travels the world who goes along and realizes that yeah sometimes it's just better and easier and smarter to pay the small amount of money that they are asking for than to go along, go into, like you said, five years worth of legal depositions, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars because you've got the criminal fight. And then you also have the fight for your, um, you know, for the money when people are going to come back and sue you because of something you did or, or an innocent bystander that got injured, all those types of things. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And that, that after action, think about it, you know, it was a successful mission. You got your protectee off the X, no injuries, and you know you you went on your way. So mm -hmm. that's what you want. You want that positive outcome. And you know, I tell my agents this all the time when I work with these guys. It's like you know, what is the optimal outcome? Keep that in mind. You want X. You know, what is that? And that is to keep yourself and your protectee off the scale of injury and mobile. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, you know, what what I call is what's your success factor. You know, if your success factor is just going along and delivering a car, a, a load of cargo, it's going to be a lot lower than if you're actually, you know, defending a human life. Because like you said, you know, uh, you know, if that person gets injured, all of a sudden you, you may have to arrange, you know, emergency evac and everything that's involved, involved along those lines. And let's put it this way, that person probably would not consider that a successful outcome. And, you know, that's, yeah. that's got to be your priority is, you know, don't think about how the movie's all end with the good guys you know coming out on top think about it as far as what's what's going to be a successful outcome uh, for you and and for and for the people that you're protecting and you made another very good point injury is a tactical consideration anything above a band-aid you know renders you combat ineffective and a detriment to you and who's with you so you if you get hurt man you're you know you're even now you you've, you've compromised the integrity of the team mm-hmm yep Definitely, uh, for that. And that, that creates, um, creates other headaches too. You know, if you run through the whole scenario in your head, as far as, you know, how far are you away from, you know, medical assistance? Are you going to take one or two other people, you know, on your team out of the fight because of, uh, you know, they've got to take care of you 
or is it, or are you the only person on the team that can fight because you're d- defending your family, something along those lines? Right. Absolutely. So, right. Yeah. So, yeah. That's really, really good information. Um, what, where do you go with the level two, um, hands to gun, uh, curriculum? <laughs> So the uh, the courses are divided into you know 101, 201, and 301. And uh, the 101 is you know kind of open to. I mean, there's still a qualification. You do have to qualify to get in. You know, you can't be uh, an entry level shooter and go through 101 because it's uh, there's, it's very dynamic. There's a lot of movement. You're moving with other bodies with a gun out, and you know. So we need to know that you are very safe and competent before you can take that 101. So the 101 goes over, you know, the basics of defensive tactics, kind of, kind of a review for folks who've been there, done that. And then um, Rob takes takes us through a, um, a series of uh, drills to everybody. Think about it like a map. We're, as shooters, we're all in different places on the map. Some of us are better hikers, out of the rest are better runners and so on. And Rob takes you from where you are on the map and, and, you know, I want to go from here to there. And then he'll be able to plot that course, the shortest distance between two points, a straight line. And he, he, he tailors that training to get from point A to point B skill-wise. Well, that, that is uh, good because I know we all want to improve. And uh, you get somebody like Rob Latham who can give you those uh, key points about what to work on. It's not just, you know, sh- shoot better. It's do this and and that will add up and make you a better shooter. Oh yeah. He has a a very interesting teaching style. You know, most teachers you go to and, you know, you and I have been to hundreds and hundreds of classes Mm -hmm. and, you know, both inside and outside the government and, and other agencies. And, and, you know, it's usually, here's what we need you to do. We need you to do this, 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 and this. Rob teaches very differently. His, his approach is here's what I want you to stop doing. So he's a master, grandmaster diagnostician. He can look at you in one second and sh- tell you, okay, here's where, there's 20 things you're doing wrong. <laughs> but, you he, you know, the human brain can't handle more than a couple. So mm-hmm. he just takes the two biggest ones and says, of the two, he picks the one that he believes is going to have the more most effect. And then he says, okay, I need you to stop doing this. And so you'll try it, but... You know, you may not have it the first or second time, but if you focus on that one thing, at least you're not doing that. And later in the class, he'll say, okay, now you're not doing that. Now I need you to stop doing this. Because the whole process, and and this is his, if you want to call it the Latham system, is that shooting is a process. And the process is bringing stability to alignment and pressing off the and breaking the round without disturbing the alignment. And it's a simple process, as he says, but it's not easy. And so now when you are held to accountability for accuracy and then later on at time, you know, and now with the, with the defensive tactics, you're adding additional layers of complexity upon your fundamentals. So, you know, there's constant pressure on your fundamentals and they start to fall apart at some point. I mean, everybody at some, if I said to you, okay, Rob, I need you to do this in two seconds, you know, you got all day, you can go home and make a pizza and come back. Mm-hmm. And if he says to you, do it in one second, hmm, that might that might press your skill level about it. Now he says, do it in 0.5. Well, the wheels are going to fall off because you, you know, you're just us mortal, normal humans. Earth walkers are not at that level. 
Mm-hmm. So where, at what point do the wheels fall off? And that's where he starts for you because your wheels fall off as an instructor at a different place than your entry-level student, for example. So an intermediate shooter or a novice shooter, they're going to have different levels of where those wheels fall off. Mm-hmm. And I would uh, I would assume that Rob's probably got a lot more advice on how to do something besides to shoot faster. He can actually tell you, you know, from the draw to, you know, the trigger press, do these, stop doing, doing those kind of things. And that will, you know, shave off a quarter of a second. And then, you know, to exactly. your point, okay, after you shave this quarter second, then let's go along keep doing all that stuff, but stop doing this. And that shaves off, you know, another 10th and you, and you slowly, you know, whittle away at, at that time. And it's, and it's inversely proportional. What I mean by that as a uh, entry level shooter, you can take chunks of time off, maybe a second, you know, for, for a little bit of effort. I'm just making this up time-wise. Let's say a couple of weeks, you can shave off a second. And then as you get better and better, it might take a month to shave off a half second. And as you get better and better, it might take a year to shave a tenth. And as you get better and better, you know, so the higher you your skill level, the the you're fighting for hundreds. It could take months to uh, I remember one time fighting for a quarter of a second. It took me forever to get, you know, to do that. And then later on now I'm fighting for tenths and then hundreds. So the lot the smaller it is, the smaller what you're fighting for, the the larger the proportion of commitment and time and effort it takes to get there. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. It's kind of like a Indy car, you know, you go along and we all, we all like driving fast cars and things like that, but they're not quite the same. And, you know, until you get to that Indy car and even there, you know, all those Indy cars are super fast, but in order to, you know, be the fastest car, you've got to work on those small little um, milliseconds and how the engine's tuned just right. And that's, uh, you know, difference between a winner and, um, you know, second place. And another thing, another thing Rob also talks about is, you know, to, to gain that level of skill it requires gaining consistency. And the consistency bus is the longest ride. In fact, you never get off that bus. You're trying to maintain a, a, a minimal 70%, 80% on demand. And his type of performance training is on-demand performance. Okay, I need you to do it again, and I need you to do it again. If you cannot repeat that task roughly 80% of the time at, at the at the level he's asking for, then you, you're, you're inconsistent and you don't quite have it. So, you know, here's what I need you to do. Start doing this or stop. It's usually stop doing that. You know, you, you're you're adding micro inputs to the gun, and that's what's causing the problem. He can identify what are those micro inputs at whatever level you're at, and ask you to uh, remove those. Which, of course, when you're taking away input, I'll give you an example. You know, you're coming out of the holster and you're making some micro adjustment. Well, you why are you making that micro that micro adjustment? Because you put an input in for alignment. You know, you're slightly to the left or something like that. And then you you are the one who put that input in. Now you have to remove that input. So the fact that you made that input cost you a tenth. And, oh, now you have to correct that input. That's another tenth. You just costed yourself 0.2. Mm-hmm. Does 0.2 matter in a gunfight? Yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you need it, you need it. Yeah. <laughs> would, be, would be my answer for it. And that's, um, yeah. 
I've, I've seen that in students that I've coached to where in beginning students that do do something as simple as like a build drill it takes five seconds to do it. And then after you work with them, you know, for a couple hours and they're down to four seconds and by the end of the day, they're down to three seconds, but trying to get it below three seconds and down more closer to two takes a little bit more work and, and concentration on their part. And then, you know, for somebody to get it down, you know, for under two, you know, that's really, you know, that's smoking and getting, getting, doing everything properly uh, along those lines for and it. Then, and and um, it takes, it takes a while. Oh yeah. And then look at the guys, look at the GMs and the M's out there that, that can do it in one five, you know, mm-hmm. that's a whole nother level. You know, that's, that's a tremendous amount more of, of time commitment and effort, you know? So, I mean, but for the, okay, let's, let's back this up for the shooter who wants to be proficient enough to manage themselves in a real world altercation, you know, there, there is a certain skill level. You, you, you feel comfortable with yourself. And I like the term and the, uh, Scott Jedlinski uses this term a lot in his classes and he calls it surplus skill. So let's say you have the ability just making this up. You have the ability to come from concealment and put around in whatever distance we're talking about in one five. Well, if you can do that in one Oh, or 1.5 on demand 80% of the time, and the need is for 2.0, then you have that what he calls surplus of skill. Well, what does that surplus of skill do for your confidence? Mm-hmm. You know? Knowing that. So not only do you have the skill, the, the handling skills, the marksmanship skills, but the confident commensurate with that skill level. And along those same lines too, if you know you can do that, you got the confidence. How many other scenarios or other options can you weigh in your in your in your mind before you actually do that trigger press? You know, do you go along? You know, can you get out of their line of fire? Can you go along and you know move something? Uh, you know, in front in between you, you know, any of those types of things to again try to re- reduce the need to actually, you know, press that trigger and go through what that's, you know, no matter, no matter whether you're in a, uh, you know, a sworn law enforcement position or whether you're in, you know, civilian standpoint, if you've got to go to guns, it's a, it's, you're going to have a lot of people scrutinizing what you're doing. Yeah, no, there is a, um, you know, looking at it from the professional protective services perspective, you know, you've got, you've got failure there. You failed on all your soft skills. Now, there is such a thing called a black swan, which means that you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, and there's nothing you could have done. It's not on you. But, but you know, whether it is on you or isn't on you, you have to make those decisions. And just the simple process of making the decision takes time as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've heard it described in the past. It's kind of like driving the old uh, stick shift uh, car, you know, for the 16 year old that had right. to go along and understand, you know, how much gas, how much clutch, brake, turn signals, you know, windshield wipers, you know, the whole nine yards about what's going on and what happens, you know, six months after they learn how to master that. They're cruising down the road, the arm out the window, and they're sitting there tuning the radio with their other hand type of thing because they know everything on what's going on. They've got a excess level of skill there to where they they can go along and see the traffic coming and knowing okay i've got a downshift i need to change lanes um you know i don't like this song so i got to change it before i get up to the traffic light all those all those decisions and that's where the i think the excess skill uh, comes in into play exactly you know if you have to think about your shooting then you're not thinking about what's going on around you 
you know, so you only have so much attention you can apply. And if most of that, you know, let's use the word units, units of attention, most of those units of attention are applied to your shooting process instead of the scenario. I mean, it's a misappropriation of attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when, even when you're in, in those situations, you got to be aware of, you know, what else is all going on. Because uh, when I do force on force, you know, I always tell people, make sure you're you're watching your six because you never know what's uh, going to come up. And sure enough, about the second or third scenario, after that, students think that they've got it down pat. They have somebody walk up that they weren't even expecting to be part part of the scenario, but they didn't go along, check them out. They happen to be the, be the one that goes along and, uh, you know, is, is the one with the knife. And it gets them to realize that they've got to keep their eyes open all all the time with it yeah now let's take that same scenario and we'll look at two different people one person who has we'll use 100 percent as your attention so they're putting 90 something percent of their attention on their scenario they're going to be able to manage that threat scenario much better than the other person who has only 10 percent on the scenario and 90 percent on oh i gotta take i gotta defeat my safety i've got to do this i've got to do that you know they're thinking in these terms of basic gun handling when their attention should be on their environment mm -hmm. definitely can you I, I with the third level of uh the 303 class or hands to gun is the tutorial um what more does that do beyond what what you've already talked about so, before because i so think that really sounds really like a breakthrough course oh yeah no it's a phenomenal course we just put we just had one a couple of weeks ago it's too bad we didn't do this before that, you know? <laughs> But uh, so anyways, uh, he um, so the three of so each level you, you have a more a much more difficult an exponentially difficult qualification to get into the class. So at a three of three, you're going to be probably a class B or class A level shooter, um, you know, uh, equivalent to something in the 20s of a, um, a five by a Wilson five by five drill, you know, something along those lines. Um, and then when you're in there, you know, the, the, the drills are much more um, challenging and the scenarios are more complex. So the layers of complexities that are uh, placed upon your fundamentals are three times what it is on the 101. And that's the purpose. You know, if you've gone through the 101, then you're ready for the 102. If you made it through 202, you're ready. You're eligible for uh, 303. That would, that's really interesting. And where are these courses taught at? Uh, they've been taught at different locations. Uh, the most recent one was in Arizona. Uh, that's where both Rob and I, that's our home range in, at uh, Rio Salado in Mesa, Arizona. That was the last one. But we've done them in Texas and other places. Um, very, very cool. And where can people find more information out about your courses at your uh, – teaching you know uh, the timing of the of these hand-to-gun courses uh, there's two there's two um different websites my website is steve tarani.com t-a-r-a-n-i.com and then the hands to gun.com is the combined website that goes into much more detail about the course itself very cool well steve we've been asking all our guests this year to name an event class or place that you think somebody in the firearm industry would um appreciate you know uh, from the historical or from you know just what's what's there do you have a suggestion for our audience 
<clears throat> yeah, well, I have to, uh, I work, I work at Gunsight up at the academy there in Northern Arizona. And few people do know that there is a, a similar course to hand to gun offered at Gunsight. I teach that one and it's called Close Quarter Pistol, CQP. And the Close Quarter Pistol class is, um, you know, very little is known. It's not out there a lot. And it's only taught a couple of times a year. So uh, there's one coming up in um, April next month, 17, 18, 19, which is the uh, third week in April, I believe, 17, 18, 19, April. Okay. That is uh, very good. I will uh, probably uh, will conflict with my uh, nine, eight to five job, uh, but I will uh, yeah. I'd like to get out there. I told uh, Ken Campbell I wanted to get out there to gun site, and I've got to got to figure out some way of uh, fitting that into the schedule somewhere. A lot of good classes out there. Every once in a while, I do a civilian knife class, pure defensive tactics, edge weapon defense, and I have another one of those coming up in, but it's in Arizona as well. And that's 22-23 April, and it's uh, uh, Edged Weapons Defense in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. It's on my website. All the details are there if anyone's interested. I just figure out if you can do this a little bit more east of the Mississippi, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I do. I do teach out there. I just was in Florida. I did a class, a couple of classes in Florida. did the Protective Agents last week. Um, did a close quarter pistol last week down there in Florida, uh, did one in Indiana. So I, you know, I'm a, I'm on the East coast here and there. So yeah, if you come to Indiana, that could work for me very well. You know, that could yeah, work. Yeah. Last year I taught a, uh, protective agents and it was covered by, uh, firearms market group, uh, guns magazine covered that one last year. There's a video somewhere online floating around with, uh, some of the highlights of the course. Very cool. Very cool. Well, last question for you. I think you've answered most of it already, but are there any anything additional that people should know about you as the classes you're teaching or where to find find you at? Uh, the, my website's the best. And as you know, I, I, I service federal contracts and, and state law enforcement and stuff like that. So not, not a lot of them are open to public, uh, but some there are some sheriff's offices that do allow civilian participation. So um, those are listed on my site. Perfect. Well, Steve, I really appreciate your time uh, tonight, spreading your expertise around. Um, I know we only scratch the surface on all the different topics that you uh, do, but definitely uh, hand to gun is applicable to all the instructors that are out there. And I really hope they take a good look at it. And uh, maybe you'll see a few of those in future classes. Uh, that'd be great. Okay. Well, have a good night. You too, Rob. Thank you. That's a wrap for this episode, and I hope you found some interesting information from Steve and my conversation. If you've got a topic you'd like to suggest, or you have some feedback, email me at ftp at concealedcarry.com. also want to invite you to listen to the other concealedcarry.com podcast, the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast, and the flagship Concealed Carry podcast. Also, make plans to attend Guardian Conference in September. Lots of great training with a lot of great trainers. I've been there for the last two years, and every year it gets better, and this year looks to be the best yet. I hope you'll be there also. You can also leave us a comment on this episode on our website at firetrainerpodcast.com. You can also go along and listen to all our previous episodes and search our podcast library for interesting topics. also want to ask you to go along and visit our sponsors, especially the Fire Trainers Association 
at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance. Remember to use promo code FTP10 for 10% off. We bring this podcast support in the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy to make gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.